Welcome to the Tech Hustler podcast. This podcast is for you if you want to hear the unfiltered stories from inspiring tech entrepreneurs. I started this podcast and the community to create what I was missing in the tech industry today. My mission is to make space for women in tech by creating a platform where they can connect, get inspired and gain new knowledge that will help them to accomplish whatever they are dreaming of. It doesn't matter if you're a tech founder, an employee, or dreaming of launching a startup. This podcast is for you. My name is Ivana von Proschwitz, and I'll be your host. It's time to start hustling smarter, not harder. Hello, Tech Hustlers, and welcome to a new season of Tech Hustler podcast. So now it is September, and September for me is a special month. It is my birthday month. Woohoo! And also, Tech Hustler podcast is turning one year. Woohoo! Again. So I have prepared something special for you. It's something that I have been working on and something that I really wished existed when I started my entrepreneurship journey. So let me take you through some of the hurdles that entrepreneurship can entail. So does this sound familiar to you? You feel isolated on your entrepreneurship journey and you feel very lonely and alone and you don't have friends that are entrepreneurs so they don't understand your problems or issues with finding market product fit or whatever it could be and do you feel that you don't have that you are not fully equipped for building a startup that you don't have access to crucial startup knowledge and that that seems out of reach. So everybody else knows something that you don't. Do you feel that the startup world feels very confusing and feels like a jungle? You have the accelerators, you have the VCs, you have the angels, uh, you have funding, grants, loans, coaches and you feel you don't know what is what and you don't know what your startup needs and also you feel burned out you are just hustling 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 working 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 because you have that burning desire and that burning passion to create that product or service that is really going to impact people's lives and you feel so burned out and done. But what if I can tell you that instead of all those feelings and things, that this is how your entrepreneurship journey could be instead? So what if you were part of an empowering community of like-minded peers, other female tech founders that are supporting you, empowering you, that you can call and have, there is a shoulder you can cry on, you can bounce ideas with, or just give them a call for a quick answer of, on whatever it can be. What if you could learn from industry experts about the topics that are crucial for building a startup? About funding, 
about options, programs, about uh, shareholder agreements, cap tables, and all that jazz. And they could also guide you in what is reasonable, how much should you give, how much should you keep, uh, and all that legal stuff. What if you can get knowledge about branding, how you pitch yourself, how you build a brand about your startup, how you build a hype about your startup, and how you also build yourself up as a founder and get PR? And what if you can get knowledge about leadership and leading teams? Because suddenly, either you want it or not, you have become a leader because you have teams you are coaching and uh, leading. So what if you can get the tools for leadership skills, basic leadership skills, so that you can empower your team and inspire them to follow you on your journey and not be a micromanager because no one wants a micromanager. That's not what they join your startup in the first place. And what if you can get knowledge about a tech architecture? So when you're building an app or a platform or whatever service you have envisioned, well, if you can get the knowledge of what is needed tech-wise, like what you should uh, build yourself, what you should buy, what is the reasonable price, what are the options for you, and also the architecture behind a service or a, or a platform. What kind of pieces do you need? What is crucial right now in your a startup and what can you build on later? And also, how do you build a tech stack that is scalable from the beginning so you don't have to redo everything in a, in a year or two? So what if you can have expert, access to experts that can teach you these things and that can answer your burning questions on these topics? Wouldn't that be awesome? And what if someone can help you to navigate through the startup ecosystem and you feel confident, you know all the players and you know exactly what your startup needs in, in this stage of your journey. And also the most important for me, what if you could break free from the hustle culture and embrace smart and more effective strategies? And yeah, break up with hustle culture once and for all what if we can rewrite the startup mental space and ecosystem and how it is to be a startup founder and, and work in a startup and build your startup? You don't have to burn out. You don't have to hustle, hustle, hustle. What if you can feel very supported and empowered and have a flow instead? That would be amazing, I think. So if this sounds very interesting to you. And if you feel that, hell yes, I want to be in the second part. I want to be in the second category. I want to be empowered, supported. I want to learn from expert and I want to break up with the hustle culture. Then this program that I just launched is just for you. So this episode is sponsored by me. Woohoo! Again, uh, my first sponsor, so let me introduce you a 12 weeks Tech Hustler Mastermind. It is a 12 weeks program. And in that program, we will have five expert sessions on the topics that I just taught you through or walked you through, legal matters, branding, tech stack, and leadership. So I'm gonna teach you, or my expert's gonna teach you 
all legal matters, options, shareholder agreements, how to build an attractive personal brand and startup brand, understanding AI and tech architecture, what to build and what to buy, leadership skills and team management. Plus, there is a secret surprise that I can't tell you about now. But also, besides these expert sessions and the knowledge that you're going to gain from experts that already built what you are aspiring to do, you also get exclusive access to a supportive community of peers. Other female tech founders that really understands you and cheer for you in every step of your journey. You also get an accountability buddy or accountability partner to keep you on track because we know that that accountability and that you actually do what you are saying that you do is so important for progress. And also the opportunity to be in the hot seat for personalized coaching. You also get access to a private WhatsApp group with other people in the community And also there is a bonus. Of course, I'm going to give you a bonus. So you'll get one-to-one coaching session with me. But you are thinking now, this is too good to be true. What is the catch? Well, here is the catch. The catch is that this podcast is listened by thousands of people. But... I will only let in 10 people in the program. So if this really sounds interesting to you, I would quickly (laughs) sign up to jump on a call with me and see if we are a fit. So there is a link in the show notes. So click on that link and sign up. I will get in touch with you. We'll book a call. We'll sit down. We'll talk about your needs, where you are in in your process. And also I'll tell you more about the program. And then, yeah, we'll see if we are fit and if uh, this makes sense. And I will also be very picky with the people that I take into the program. Because for me, it's really important to create a really supportive community. So people that are really sharing their knowledge and supportive to others but also people that are coachable and want to grow together. So what are you waiting for? Get in the show notes and sign up now before spots are taken. Okay, so there you know, the secret is out. You know now what I've been working on. You can sign up to the program today. And let's now get back to our guest and our first guest for this season. Enjoy! Today's guest is Maria Assarsson. She is the CEO and founding partner in one of Europe's fast-growing venture builder, Hidden Dreams, which develops and invests in self-founded tech companies. Maria has a master's degree in industrial economics from KTH And for the past 10 years, she has been working with innovation, strategy and business development within technology-intensive companies, from huge corporations like Apple to startups. She was also the co-founder and former CEO of Teknik Kvinnor here in Sweden. Warm welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yay! (laughs) I am super excited. (laughs) Yeah, you're such a role model. 
Thank you. Yeah, but you have a background in industrial economics and you are now in tech. So how did you end up in tech? I think it's a lifelong dream, so to say. Uh, if I were to summarize like my my focus in my life so far, uh, I will say compose of like three main components. It's like both entrepreneurship. I was, I think, nine, ten years old when I dreamt about my future becoming a business owner. Super strange when you are so young. Yeah, but very cool. <laughs> I realize now. Uh, and then we have uh, technology or engineering. I loved math growing up in in school and both like uh, uh, natural science, chemistry, etc. Uh, but also I had a huge interest in why people do what they do. Like how do people work, how do groups work, how do organizations work. So when I were, went studying at the gymnasium or did you say high school in, mm-hmm. in English? High school. Uh, I found industrial engineering and management. And that combined in both like engineering, uh, people, culture, organizations. But also uh, I had the opportunity to go in, into deep uh, knowledge in terms of uh, medical biotechnology. Like understanding how the body and, and people work as well. Mm. So that's why I picked that as a, as a, a university degree. Uh, and based on that, like being a part of the university, getting to know a lot of people, but also working uh, alongside the, the university, I sort of like threw myself into the tech-heavy organizations, uh, for example, like like Apple or, or mm. some of the startups. Mm. So what drew you to the tech companies? The fast pace. Uh, the ever-changing <laughs> environment. Uh, there are a lot of like creative people, but also a lot of smart people working there. Uh, and I love to be challenged uh, every single day. Uh, some days uh, today, working at Hidden Dreams, we change so much that I, I even get tired of the change sometimes. Uh, but mostly it's it's amazing. Uh, and it's constantly something to learn. Mm, yeah, I think that was the interesting part for me as well. To be part of something and build something and also the ever-changing landscape. Yeah. It's amazing. But then you founded or co-founded the Teknik Kvinnor. Uh, why? What drew you to do that? Uh, so um, a girl called uh, Maria, she started a Facebook group. Uh, back in 2017 and when the group had 5,000 members she went out and said like uh, hey should we meet Uh, do you exist in real life or are you only on Facebook Uh, and I tend to be a person with a lot of initiative (laughs) so I out of the blue reached out after a glass of wine (laughs) and a dinner with my friends saying hey I will help you host uh, an event I can do lectures in self-leadership which I highly Um, recommend or work with a lot the past 10 years as well um, and I will help you fix like a place to be at KDH why why don't we meet up and have a coffee we met up clicked right away I had the first event with like 140 people uh, in the place here in Stockholm and since then I was a part of the organization uh, so we started as a group on Facebook quickly got a lot of media attention uh, then we started the podcast that we then <laughs> didn't continue with yeah. as we talked about before uh, and then a lot of companies reached out saying hey you have a huge network then about 15,000 people wow. that are women in technology we would like to recruit them uh, we said well If you want to be uh, shown to the network, you have to prove that you actually work with gender equality and inclusion. Otherwise, it's just for show yeah. and pinkwashing and we're not interested. Yeah. So uh, what did you have to prove? So um, first we have like the the 
the specific metrics like the number of women in the leadership team, the board, the company itself, how the past recruitment has gone before, the number of people that actually stayed in the organization or the, the um, how do you say, the retention rate, retention rate mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we actually talked to people working at those organizations that had to explain like what's the overall culture, what's the leadership style, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, to wow, just get some cool. sort of picture of yeah. of the organization. It is hard uh, to do that in large organizations because the culture varies. It depends on the management of the specific department, but like in general, overall, or the best we could do to our knowledge. Mm. Then, um, so some companies they we created events with them, uh, but other companies we said no to. <laughs> And then they come back, some of them at least, not all of them. Uh, and that's, okay, what do we have to do? Uh, and how can we work with these questions in a like, suitable way according to, to you? Yeah, uh, and that's good. I mean, that shows a strength that they are willing to learn. Definitely. Mm. Uh, and as I said, like not all of them came back, but some of them did. Uh, and then that, that actually led to me doing my master's thesis on gender equality in multinational organizations. I looked at like how a company with the headquarters in Sweden can work with these questions when they have employees in like UK, India, Poland, Mexico, <laughs> Japan, and how the view on gender equality and inclusion varies, mm. uh, which was quite interesting. What can you show us some insights there? Because that I mean that's I think today companies struggle with that as well, and especially like during COVID as well when we had distributed teams. Definitely. Um, And it's hard. It's really hard. You don't have to travel that far uh, to realize that there are huge differences. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for example, uh, in a country like India, uh, and one of the companies that I looked at were a a manufacturing company, their biggest concern was, of course, the employee's work environment in the the, how do you say, the industry plants Mm -hmm. where they worked. So it's, of course, more important to make sure that they have clean water (laughs) than what it is to make sure that they have a 50-50 split of women and men. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, they had taken some initiatives that were more practical than it might be culture in Sweden. For example, ensuring that they had day- daycare access at the plant so that women actually could work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for one hand, then the type of initiative that you had, the way you had to prioritize based on <laughs> the urgency of, of the problem, mm-hmm. Uh, and then it came down to, uh, I would say, the leadership style itself. Like, you can be an inclusive leader, even though you don't have the opportunity to ensure that the, the quota between men, men and women are the same. Mm. Uh, so a lot of interesting findings. <laughs> so the the thesis itself uh, turned out to be like a strategic um, map or framework that multinational organization can work with to ensure that you both have the Swedish like ambition of working with gender equality and inclusion, but ensuring that you got the culture and the prerequisite for the specific country itself to be able to de- adapt uh, globally. Mm. Uh, so that was like basically the foundation of the business then, the technique when it became uh, working with gender equality, inclusion, and also now diversity with technology-heavy organizations. So now we have the network of over 30,000 members. We have a, a business that works with actually creating the work environment that the members of the network can strive in. Wow, that's amazing. Long. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, I mean, well done, because Thank I think that a lot of organizations are trying to do that, but it's it's, it's not that easy. It's, it's a hard nut to cracker. <laughs> 
Yeah, and for me, it was also all about like looking for the right opportunities and being able to experiment and trying out different things. Mm. As I said, we started a podcast. I sucked at editing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it was like, yeah, it's not like it's not my cup of tea. So maybe someone else can do it like you. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome at it. <laughs> uh, and just trying things out and see what works. Yeah. And how many, like how many companies did you end up working with? Mm, I think now it's over 20-25 companies based in Sweden. And how yeah. many members do you have? Over, over 32,000 now, I think. Wow. About 70, 70 to 80% are active mm. each month. Um, wow, that's a high engagement. Yeah, It is. Uh, so it's, it started, as I said, as a Facebook group. A lot of people are in the Facebook group. Then we created local networks with physical meeting places with ambassadors. Mm. And a, a group for uh, management as, management as well, like mm. people being bosses oh, or cool. women being bosses. Women being bosses. <laughs> I like that. But do you do you? Uh, what more do you have in the community? So you, you work with this company. Do you create events? You have recruitment. Do you have anything else? Yeah, we do have a lot of events, uh, both like based on the members creating events uh, for themselves, but also in terms of uh, with companies that want to basically recruit the people from the network or put themselves into the, the marketing mind of, of the people. Uh, but then we have a recruitment site that would like 15,000 members where companies can post job applications and people can say, hey, I'm looking for a job, uh, which is quite amazing as well. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have the, the business working with, with the companies. Yeah. Cool. Well done. Thank you. That's a really good fun job. journey. Yeah, fun journey. Yeah, but then you you left as the CEO and of uh, Technikvinner, right? To yeah. pursue other opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've always been a person that has a, had a lot of things going on at the same time, uh, which now. I realized a couple of years later is not the best idea, actually. Uh, so, for example, when I started at KDH, I worked full-time alongside the studies. Uh, when I started uh, Technique Freedom back in 2017, I had both full-time studies and a full-time job. Oh, my uh, God. And then when we started Technique Freedom as a company, uh, autumn 2018 was also the period when we started Hidden Dreams. Uh, so I was the CEO of Hidden Dreams, founding partner and COO at Hidden Dreams um, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and I left the CEO position at Technique Queen in 2021 during the summer and replaced myself with a better CEO than myself that had more time than I had uh, and prioritized being full-time and only at Hidden Dreams after that. But I'm still the owner of the company and the board director at Tiki So I haven't left it completely, no. but I have awesome people running the company. Yeah, but that's a good insight, um, I think. And, and I mean, it's good that you realize your own like limitations and of, also focus on one thing. That's not a bad thing. And it's, it has taken a lot of time to mm. realize that. Like, I think I've been close to hitting the wall a couple of times. Uh, one time really close. It took some time to get back to back to normal. Um, and then also, um, I believe that it was possible to have like a lot of things going on at the same time. And that was like the best way to do it. But now being on the other side, <laughs> having like a well, one main focus in the professional life is actually way better. Uh, for me at least yeah then you can really focus and build because the things that we put attention and time on will grow yeah and I mean also if you're building a company 
or want to build a company, that's more than a full-time job. Yeah, definitely. You dream about it. <laughs> you wake up, the first thought you have in the morning is probably about that. Mm. And to be able to both uh, take care of yourself, probably your family, and also running a company, it's it's more than a full-time job. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's a marathon and not a sprint. I think yes. that's one of, the, one of the most important things. Yeah, exactly. I And I totally agree. Like Rome wasn't built over one <laughs> night or one day. So definitely a marathon. Yeah. So you can't work like you can't work yourself to burnout because then, then you not be able to build what you want to do built yeah. in the long run. Yeah. And I mean, also, like if you start your own company, you are the core and you are the yes. rock of the organization. Yeah. Uh, and if you leave, uh, that put the whole company at risk as well. Yeah, or if you burn out. Yeah, definitely. Then you can't, you don't have energy to do anything. But tell me about the ideas behind uh, Hidden Dreams. Mm, I would say that Hidden Dreams were sprung based on like two opposite events. Uh, for myself, uh, I was quite frustrated because at the time I'd both like worked at Apple for a couple of years, seen like that amazing organization from the inside. Uh, but I also worked as management consultant uh, for a couple of years. And the one thing that frustrated me was seeing all these inefficiencies that could be easily fixed with like quite simple technology, uh, mostly software technology. Uh, and this sort of came down to like like highly trained, super smart individuals doing a lot of administrative work uh, that could be fixed. Uh, but of course, at those companies were basically all companies that have these like administrative tasks that people have to perform is not a priority for the management to solve them because they have to focus on the strategic again that they have to focus like Scania have to focus on like self-driving cars or yeah. limited like oil and gas yeah. for example their core business their core business uh, so of course like the company are not like trained to develop technical solutions it's not a part of the core strategic initiatives and it's like yeah it's easier to hire more people <laughs> to do these things but that frustrated me uh, and on the other hand Fabian uh, one of the co-founders uh, and Seyd Esmail Sade one of our main investors uh, had a company in their swear uh, that's called Insiderlog where one of the employees at Serendipity Jon Engholm he was a legal counsel. Uh, he was frustrated that he had to spend a lot of time uh, tracking things in Excel based on the more regulations that came uh, back when they started the company, which means that they have to keep track of more insider information than before. Uh, so he was like, well, I cost a lot of money. <laughs> this is so frustrating. And I know that a lot of my colleagues are sitting with the same manual tasks. So why shouldn't I develop a, a solution for this? So basically, uh, he went down to part-time, hired a developer, created a solution, got 200 paying customers in 18 months. And within 18 months, they also sold the companies for about like 200 million Swedish crowns. It's like 20 million euros. Wow, wow which what is a journey. Insane. It's yeah. like unheard of. Um, exactly. And those are the rough numbers, mm. not to go into specifics, but it's crazy. So uh, Said, as a serial entrepreneur and also a smart intellectual individual, sat down with Fabian like, hey, was this just a lucky thing that happened? Or can you actually do this all over again? And what were the things that you can actually replicate? Uh, so then me and Fabian, Said and Yuban, also one of the founding partners, got together saying, like, okay, what can we learn from the from the journey with the inside log? And is it actually possible 
to create a factory building startups. Uh, and is that something that we can do? Uh, and that was back in autumn 2018. Uh, so uh, we found like some some denominators, like uh, the inside log problem had a low like tech uh, need, like the development complexity was quite low. Uh, it was sold business to business. Uh, I <laughs> I am pro business to business over business to consumer because I think it's easier to understand. It's often more rational, higher like uh, contract values, etc. Uh, and then. Uh, that was actually a problem that was hidden. It was not a problem that everyone knew uh, on out of town. Like it was impossible for me to sit like at home thinking about I wanted to build a business, and I would solve the digital solution for Maragli. Like it's it's impossible. So uh, probably the the competition is quite low. Uh, so then we uh, went out on social media again. I tend to love social media as well, apparently. <laughs> It's Not a like a, tool. <laughs> it's a powerful tool. It is, it definitely yeah. is. So we went out saying like, hey, do you work in a large organization? Do you have boring things that you have to do all day? Do you think that you this possible to build a, a tech uh, solution based on that? Uh, send it in and we can build a company together. Uh, and that's basically led to a couple of like, I think we got like 70, 80 problems that spring, uh, spring of 2019. And we founded the two first companies uh, in September, October 2019. So that was the beginning of the journey. Yeah. Uh, then we said, like, can we like start five companies? That would be awesome. Uh, then a year and a half later, it's like, okay, can we start 50 companies in five years? Then we think that we will have some sort of clue of if it is possible to scale and actually build a lot of good companies. Uh, as a fabric. Yeah, but you will also find a blueprint, right? You'll find the um, recurring things or like the things that all these companies have to get, like um, all these companies have in common. And also what, what I mean, I think you, you, you're going to do this faster and faster because you learn so much on the journey. Definitely. Uh, I tend to look at it like if you have a graph, now you, now yeah. you notice that I'm an engineer. Uh, if you have a graph and you like you have time on one axis, yeah, uh, that all of the companies had some specific foundation that are the same for every single company. Exactly. Yeah. Like all of them need like um, a shareholders agreement. All of them need, need like employee agreement all of them need like a board or all of them need like um, to raise capital or to hire people or like all of these things are are basically the same those things uh, should be possible for us to scale uh, and help all the companies that we start to like ensure that they run efficiently and correctly and we limit that type of headache from the founders so that the people that actually run the operations in the companies can focus on the business and the core itself. Yeah. And basically that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But have you found any metrics that already? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we have a huge like um, um, legal package with like all the types of contracts that you might need. Uh, that are like the best of the best so we know we know that if all the companies have them we can sit safe in the, in the boat but we can also ensure that the investors that come to us they know that like i'm super secure with this shareholders agreement for example 
or uh, I know that all the CEO can incentivize the employees with options uh, that are quite hard to do as a sole entrepreneur. Uh, or uh, we have a super clear recruitment process on how to recruit people and ensuring that they hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, uh, will be the best possible like co-founder or employee to, to the CEO as well. So everything from like recruitment to legal to PR and communications to finance, etc. Yeah, and I think that's one of the tricky parts as a, as a founder, uh, especially in your early stage, is part of the contracts and the legal um, documents and like to know exactly what you mentioned, like options and what percentage or what's like, what's reasonable, what's not. And like bookkeeping. Bookkeeping, yeah. That was the first thing I hired someone to do when I started my first. Exactly. That you can outsource, yeah. Because you you take in problems and then you help entrepreneurs to build a company around those problems or you find people to to develop that company. Mm, I will say today we have uh, a couple of different ways of how we go about it. And that's all been developing over time. Uh, And as I mentioned in the beginning, like it's an ever-changing organization. (laughs) What I say today might not be true in in, in six months. Uh, But one way is for for people working in the large organizations to send in the problems to us. uh, And we will help out to do like uh, analysis and validation of the problem. Uh, So I have a team of two people uh, working with us full time. then when they have done the analysis, we've gotten approval of our investment to start a company. We will start a company. We will invest a million crowns and we will hire a CEO and co-founder to us to run the company. That was like the first way of we doing it. Uh, but then we realized that it's quite hard to find a super good entrepreneur that's also a potential CEO that likes to build a company around like certification for the steel industry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not finding so sexy, a need. <laughs> okay, our companies are super not sexy. <laughs> None of them are sexy. Yeah, that's a part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, but it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And as you know, it's so important with the right people. Yes. Uh, so then crucial so then we're like well why don't we turn it around why don't we find the super good entrepreneurs and the ceo candidates and they can with our models and our help be a part of finding their own problem and it could be a problem that they self have experienced before or it could be a problem that they're like their partner or their parents or their friends have at their workplace that they want to solve and can do within the hidden problem business to business and sauce like uh, box all things so now we have an entrepreneurs in resident program where people can they have five months they'd get 250,000 crowns it's like 25,000 euros uh, to work with us to find and validate their problem and if they, they pass through the whole journey we will start a company together. We will still invest a million crowns and they will have 12 mi- mi- months to actually find the first paying customers and go through the, the Hidden Dreams journey from there. Yeah, that's a cool concept, yeah. I think, because and that leaves room for people to actually invest, like maybe take some time off their regular work and actually try to do this mm. full time. And it's quite also quite interesting that the people that have gone through the program are quite different. Uh, some people just graduated from university. 
some has worked for like 15, 20 years. It's like now I want to leave the corporate world and do do this thing, but in a pretty much more secure or like structured, structured way. Yeah, yeah. In, environment. Mm. Or people are work like three, four years. It's like, yeah, now I'm ready. I've got some experience and I want to to embark on the on the startup entrepreneurship journey. Mm, yeah, very cool concept. Okay, so you then, uh, you have the problem, you have the team, and then you have invested. But you also prepare them for the second round, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, one of the main things that I uh, value highly is ensuring that people are incentivized and that people are a part of the of the ownership team or the cap table uh, of the company. Yes. So from the beginning, when we start the company, we have done the whole problem validation thing. Um, we ensure that we have Hidden Dreams as an owner. Uh, we have the CEO that has also invested their own money, like skin in the game principle. But we also have what we call problem specialists, like the people that are today working with the problem firsthand in these organizations that will be experts on like ensuring that we build the right product or helping out with contacts and networks within the industry. So like three main parts of, of the company when we started. Uh, then the first like task as a CEO is to focus on finding the first paying customer. Paying, an important word. word. Especially today, uh, paying to- <laughs> customer. <laughs> exactly. That commits to helping out develop the product and ensuring that we build the right product. Uh, and then when the product is in place, they will start paying for it, for the product itself. Uh, that ensures that we are actually developing something that people will use. Yes. Uh, one of the most, like, um, it's quite common that you tend to have a great idea. You sit at home, develop the solution, go to the market, and no one wants to buy it. Mm. Or you want to make sure that uh, they actually, uh, we make sure that they actually will use the product itself. Yeah. Yeah. You co co create. You can say you co create with the customer or like end user. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's very smart to get their input and feedback early in the product development. Super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work. Uh, one of the the main books that people have to read is called the Mom Test. The Mom Test. The Mom oh, Test. Yep. Ooh, Highly recommend. What is that? Uh, it's a book. It's all about like how you can ask the right questions to actually get the honest answer. Ooh, that's exciting. I have to read that one. It's basically based on the principle. Like if I say to you, sorry, I'm reaching for the glass. Like, whoop. Uh, it, I want to develop this glass. You're my friend. Uh, it's supposed to be an AI glass that can measure like the temperature of the water, the amount of water is in the glass. Will you buy it? If I ask you as a friend or if my, I ask my mom, she will probably say, yes, of course I will buy it. Mm. I spend a lot of time developing the glass. Say like, hey, you can buy this glass for 10,000 crowns. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Uh, and that's basically because you haven't gotten the honest feedback from the beginning or haven't asked the right question to truly understand the need yeah. or the market itself. So that book is all about like a framework for you to actually ask the right questions and actually getting the right answers and to, be able to ensure that you build the right company or the right product from the beginning. Yeah, so good. And that's a skill. I mean, asking the right question. I have done a couple of <laughs> <laughs> surveys myself, like both for product development and for other purposes. And it's so like... You want to be able to draw some conclusions and and uh, analytics from those answers, but for you to be able to do that and that that being qualified, you have to actually really 
answer or ask the questions in a certain way so you get the right answer or like the answers that you're looking for and not just the the um Co- constructed answers from your friends definitely and you're probably a bit biased as well yeah uh, definitely. what you want people to say <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah but definitely answer. definitely yeah. exactly and like how do you uh, like ask very open questions so you really uh, get what the customers it's, it's thinking and you not you leading the customer to an answer you want exactly yeah uh, but to get back to the question what we do during the first year <laughs> So we just like a sidetrack when yeah. you're excited. Yeah. Uh, well, finding your first paying customer, ensuring that you develop the product together with the customer. Our companies do it either with like consultants that we have in our network or they hire a tech lead as a co-founder and ensuring that those people also are incentivized with ownership, but also uh, the, the options that you can create here in Sweden. Uh, so... As soon as the, the CEO has signed their first contract, their vision gets split quite quite a lot. Uh, so it's both like finding the right co-founder as a tech lead. It's about uh, finding new customers. Uh, it's about uh, searching for the right board director that's not like a part of the Hidden Dreams team to ensure that you get like one additional person to your ecosystem of advisors. Uh, it's about like starting the journey to find uh, capital to ensure to take the company to the next level. Uh, And if I look at the companies that we started today, we have started uh, 19 companies in total, 11 last year. (laughs) So a lot of them are quite young. Uh, But today it takes somewhere between one to maybe four or five months to find the first paying customer from the time we have started the company. Uh, If they haven't found the first paying customer within six months, it might not be a problem that's something that Hidden Dreams should solve. Uh, it could be the problem, it could be the market, it could be the CEO, it could be something that's like not actually uh, good enough. Um, and then we make the decision, should we start with the, continue with the company or should we like put it on pause or like uh, basically kill the company itself? Uh, if the company passes six months, uh, then it's truly time to raise capital. Uh, and the market has changed a lot <laughs> the last 12 months. Yeah. Uh, but knock on wood, <laughs> all of the companies uh, have succeeded in raising the capital uh, with some like twerks to, to the Hidden Dreams uh, model as well. Uh, and then we get uh, like a good capital with, as I said before, with the, the board director, also new investors that don't only contribute with the money but also with expertise and network and want to be a part of the the journey itself yeah Um, and that's the trick about like balancing choosing the right owners uh, and getting the capital itself to be able to survive exactly so i have several questions here um how do you choose board board members and how much do you do give them like what do you give them in in exchange Mm, i would say that we have uh, for the first board, the, the first board member is for us a director. So the board will consist of a director and one of our partners at the, at Hidden Dreams, so two people. Uh, the person tends to be uh, a expert based on the problem, like a person from the specific industry uh, that probably have a huge network. So it's a, probably a person that has been working high up in in the company. Uh, probably a CEO or maybe a board director. 
we ensure that that person actually has time because uh, it's a huge difference being in the mature company board and the startup board. We want to make sure that the person both can like be a part of the board meetings, but also have the possibility to coach and help the CEO uh, between the meetings as well and have the possibility to be quite hands-on. So it's probably not a person that's highly active in an organization, high up in an organization today. So a quite experienced person. Uh, and that that person also is willing to invest in the company. And um, the offer that the people get in the beginning is that uh, they can invest in the company based on the probably the, the current like valuation based on the, the, um, the capital round that the company are raising. Uh, and they get uh, options uh, equal to the amount of the money, uh, the stocks that they buy with the money. So it's about like 0.75% in investment of the whole company, but also 0.5% um, options. Uh, and it's actually a new law that passed last year, in the beginning of last year, that you can give these options to the board, which is amazing. Mm. I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, good. No, 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 but exactly. But that was what I was looking for. Like, what do you looking for in like um, expertise? And you answered that. But also, what do you give them in advance? Like, what is reasonable? And you answered that as well. So you get them opportunity to invest in a company on equal terms at other investors. And you also give them options. Yeah, exactly. And the part of that like deal is based on the Skatteverket or the tax Authority, authority yeah. yeah. Here in Sweden, you have to give them um, some money for the work before the options turn into stock. Mm. But that has to happen within the three years uh, before they turn into stock. So, so they give the option. After three years, the options will become stocks. And then you also have to ensure that you have paid them um, some money for, for that work that they have done. Uh, but that's important to know that that can happen year three. For example, okay, it doesn't have to happen from day one. Yeah, no. and why that is important is because um, all the money you have in the startup, <laughs> which is quite limited in the beginning, should go to the the business itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the operational cost, definitely. So you don't give an advisor like two percent of the company or or something like that. Mm, no, uh, sort of with the with the options because they're free. Yeah, uh, to give out, uh, but. We don't do it without, like, they actually invest in their own money as well and have a skin in the game. Okay, yeah, that's a good tip, actually. Skin mm. in the game. Skin in the game. Yeah, but that's important. Then you get them active as well. And it's, okay, so you also mentioned that it's different to be on the board of a traditional company versus a startup company. So what is important when you are part of a board of, of a startup company? Mm. It depends on the... The role that you have at the com at the board, because um, if I look at the board of the of the a bit older companies that we have, uh, we tend to have at least one person that's like the industry expert and has a network within the industry, uh, but the second or the third person that will enter the board uh, tend to be someone that has like a competence or an insight or an experience that the CEO can gain for. Uh, for example, sales, business to business, sauce, sales or tech or whatever it could be. Um, and from my perspective, of course, the, the board should protect the owner's rights and the owner's wishes. That's, that's important. Uh, but 
in the beginning, I think it's equally as important that the board is the right board for the CEO because the board should support the CEO uh, and the CEO should be able to go to the board to ask for advice. So that makes the like hierarchy <laughs> that it should have, like owners, board and the CEO, a bit more blurry uh, or at least the way we work with it. Because uh, we want to be there just to be an exchange between the board and the CEO that goes both ways, but also for the CEO to be able to talk to and also be accountable for the owners. Yeah, that's a really good ecosystem and help and support for the CEO, because in the beginning you have to have different hats. So it's really important to get knowledge in the company and and especially then from board members that have extensive uh, competence in, in certain domains. Yeah. So the the answer to your question is like to ensure that you have the different competencies, that you have people that can be both strategic advisors, but also if needed, uh, some way operational uh, and to ensure that you have a good enough and big enough board. Uh, I would say like somewhere the sweet spot, like in the first 18 months would be like two or three people at the most. And after maybe three, four years, maybe at, at most five people to make sure that the board is actually run efficiently and uh, that they are incentivized uh, and that they um, have clear like directives and um, yeah, feel engaged <laughs> in the organization. Yeah. And how much time should you expect the board members to put in the company, apart from board meetings, of course? Mm, it varies uh, depending on like what the company is going through. Uh, so there, I don't have a straight answer. Uh, I would say in our companies, there are board meetings four times per year. Uh, two of those meetings are extended for like a strategic day. So that's like the, the absolute minimum of time. Uh, some of the board directors and the CEO set up like a weekly check-in, otherwise have a monthly check-in. Uh, when big, big things happen, both like positive and negative, it could be like board meetings every other week. And uh, that also happens. Uh, but I think the most important thing is for the CEO and the board director to find their way of working uh, the most efficiently. Uh, and between the board meetings for the whole whole board, uh, it depends on what comes out of the strategic days that we have. It might be like a company needs to uh, revisit or revise their pricing strategy. Uh, and there might be one or two people on the board that know more about pricing than the others. Then they are responsible to report back to the board after a quarter saying, hey, these are the outcomes of the pricing work that we have done. Uh, and that could have taken like a week or one day or four days, depending mm. on, on the project. Okay. Okay, but that, that's good. That's good indication to to know how much you should expect board members to invest in time-wise in the company. And I think also one other important factor, <laughs> and, yeah. and also based on my own experience, uh, I always recommend our, our companies to have a board uh, and only have a board uh, and not an advisory board as well. What's uh, the difference? Uh, so the 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 board, I mean, is like the formal board of the company that you have to have and that report to Skatteverket or the tax authority and Bolagsverket, etc. Uh, and the advisory board is uh, basically people that are uh, spending time helping and coaching the CEO or have specific knowledge that's good for the company, uh, but they're not formally selected by the owners uh, and tend to be like good yeah, oh, only advisors to the, to the CEO. Uh, 
Um, so I would recommend to have the formal board where you have the formal advisors uh, and maybe you have specific individuals at the, as advisor but not an advisory board. And why? is because you as a CEO will double the amount of time that you have to prepare for presentations and agendas. You have to double the amount of input that you get that might be different, but they're not talking or correlating to each other. So you will get yourself into a lot of, a lot of extra work. Uh, so uh, rather to have one, one authority to report to, <laughs> one authority to get the, the, the like, like, advice for the company's future and then have a lot of people on the side that you can ask for help or discuss things with, but they're not a board that you have to report to in the same way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah. So find more mentors or guidance, um, people you can bounce ideas and get advice from, but they are not in in authority to make decisions and that you don't have to report to them. Yeah, and then so uh, and that's the reason why it doesn't make sense to put them into a board. Yeah, yeah. An advisory board, so yeah. to say. yeah. Uh, that sounds so what uh, what should you like look out for like what are the red flags if someone comes and want to be on my board like what are what are the <laughs> the red flags i should keep an eye on hmm that's a good question i would make sure that it's always super clear what's expected from from that person that wants to be on the board or wants to be an advisor uh Because uh, then you clar- clarify the relationship, like what can I expect for you and you expect for me? Um, and that uh, you are sure that that person actually can contribute both today, but also in three years when the options turn into stocks. Yes, very important to um, think about, yeah. Otherwise, you tend to think, it's like, yeah, it's fun that someone wants to help me and I want to be a part of my board, etc., etc. And it's like roses and hugs and <laughs> honeymoon exactly. face and that all of those kind of things. And maybe some people just want to be part of the ride, but they... What can they actually contribute what can they, exactly, with? What, they, maybe, what will you exactly. get out from it exactly. as well? That, that was my point. Uh, and that increases like people wanting to be a part of the company or the board or advisor if the company is going good. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. if you have some good traction, uh, but then it might be time for you as a CEO to to really focus on the strategic agenda, ensuring that you can leverage that expansion and that traction rather than just having people wanting to join. Uh, so focusing on on the right people. Yes, everyone wants to be a part of a success, successful company, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you maybe get flattered in the beginning. You have like big names that want to be a part of your yeah. company. I mean, that could be very flattering. But you should really, yeah, be clear on what uh, what are you going to get out of these people? Like, what expertise or what knowledge or what contacts? What what value do they bring to the company and the company's uh, growth and success? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes big names are amazing as well. Yeah. Uh, But maybe a big name, should that person be a part of the board or should that person be an investor, for example? Yeah. Then you can also leverage that person big name. Yeah, Uh, that's true. Okay, so let's slide into the investors. (laughs) (laughs) How do you prepare your companies for, for a round? Hmm. So it has changed, as I said, based on the market. Uh, just to like give you some quick example, what we have changed. Uh, for example, before before the the market changed and shifted last year, uh, it was definitely enough to have one paying customer. 
Uh, now they have to have at least like two or maybe three paying customers. Uh, it's more uh, focus or the focus is, is bigger on terms of both like the possible um, like uh, growth, but also when you are becoming uh, cash flow neutral and when you can ensure that you are profitable if you want to go that route. So it requires more thinking for the CEO to have a clear vision, a clear strategy for clear strategies, like a couple, uh, based on those different scenarios for the company. Uh, and it takes a bit longer time. Uh, you have to meet more investors uh, and you maybe have to have more meetings than just one to get a ticket, for example. So what is expected regarding to profit? Mm, it varies depending on the case overall. Uh, like for some uh, one organization it might be like you should be able to be profitable within uh, 24 months or should have the opportunity for another it's like yeah it's four or five years okay. <laughs> it depends on the business model yeah uh, and it depends on how um, how well prepared I would say as well the the thoughts and the rationale is as well mm. uh, so it depends that's a boring answer yeah. <laughs> unfortunately no no but I understand uh, but what Yeah, but um, it has changed. I mean, from like just showing growth and users to actually showing profit and like paying customers. So that was what I was after. Yeah, um, it has. For us, For us, the change hasn't been that big because it's always been a part of like we have to have paying customers before we raise capital. Um, but the the level of, of analysis, the level of details, the level of preparement that the CEO has to do is bigger today than it was before. But I also think it's a positive uh, development because uh, yeah. it helps. It, it's not only the work you have to do to raise capital, but it'll also help the CEO to work with the board, to hire employees, <laughs> to like plan out, the, to turn the strategic agenda into to operational goals. So it's, uh, it's a valuable, valuable work as well. Yeah. And I mean, businesses are started to make profit and to make money. So I think that's also healthy to think about when are we going to make money? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that might be an unpopular opinion. Yeah, <laughs> but, for sure. Uh, but for me, like, uh, it's amazing with, for example, impact startups. It's, it's great, uh, but they only truly have an impact if they have people buying the solution. It doesn't matter if you're an impact startup and you don't have someone using the product or building the solution. So having that focus for all companies, uh, it's super important if you want to actually create a change as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but for, for the CEOs then, so uh, of course, like we as Hidden Dreams have some like tools that we help the companies with, like coach, like pitch coaching and like giving feedback. We have an investment, like network of investors with like uh, over a hundred investors that are interested in our companies. Uh, we tend to somewhere sometimes like be a part of the investor meetings to be able to give feedback to the CEO like in real real time as well. Um, and we have amazing owners that have like hidden dreams owners that have like founded and invested in like hundreds of startups that can give their advice as well. So there's a good support system. But the success of the round, I believe, always comes down to the involvement and the preparement of the CEO. Yeah. The amount of times that the person has thought about like the company's future, the amount of time the CEO has like in the shower practice pitching, <laughs> you know, all of these kind of um, preparations, mm -hmm. the number of meetings that the CEO actually 
takes and goes to and and reflect upon like how can I perform better it's amazing to see the development from like a CEO's like first semester meetings to the last it's like a huge difference uh, which comes down to like their owning the the process themselves mm. and growth personal growth definitely and growing uh, in that role as well definitely and at the end like I believe it's the CEO that has to have the uh, the trust uh, and the communication with the owners so the CEO also has to be the one building the relationship with the investors during the the round uh, itself yeah um, definitely that's why uh, I or we like put a lot of emphasis on on the CEO like run, running the process and being the face of the process while hidden dreams can be in the background uh, helping out with all the things that's that's around uh, and also uh, <laughs> I can talk about this forever yeah please it's um, super interesting like people tend to think about like um, raising capital is like getting the tickets and creating the cap table like knowing how who will invest in the company but they tend to forget uh, the process from like okay now I know who wants to invest in the company I might be fully covered or I might be have more money <laughs> than than I can can handle uh, how you select between the investors uh, how you say no to investors some people you might not want to be a part mm-hmm. of the company but then how you actually turn from the cap table to uh, the authority saying hey you have new, new stocks in the companies and these are the new owners so you have an administrative task uh, that's also equally as important where you also have to communicate with investors that might be something that's new for a lot of people running the companies uh, so that's amazing if you proactively can, can have a plan for that or have gotten help for that uh, but so, then, so what do you mean there so after the cap table is signed you have to actually get in the money in the com- in the company yeah yeah so you have to like uh, but don't don't they just pay you or no no <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to make sure that you like get um so uh, you have to send out first you have to um I will not go through the whole process because then people will fall asleep. Yeah, but give us the, uh, the quick version. So you have to first you have to have a decision from the owners that you are creating new stock in the company if you have like a traditional um uh, in Swedish. Uh, then you have to make sure that people get the notice that they have to pay money. Yeah. And where they have to pay money, they have to pay the money. The bank has to say, hey, we confirm that you have gotten the money into the company. Now you can use that to be able to talk to the authorities and say, hey, new stock, new money. Um, here are the proof that everything has gone according to plan. You have to sh- send out like confirmations to the owner saying, hey, this is the, the letter saying that you have got a new stock, etc., etc., etc. Uh, so that takes a lot of time. Yeah, but th- isn't there any like services for that? Um, like apps or? Good question. I, <laughs> I have my amazing <laughs> teammate, so, uh, teammate Sofia. Uh, okay. That's our head of legal. They can care all that for for the companies and also teach the CEO how to do it. Yeah, but there are definitely ways that you can learn and probably services that you can pay for as well to to make it happen mm. and make sure that it's correctly done. Mm. But that's very good points. Not just to think that it's done when the papers are signed. You actually have to collect the money. Yeah, yeah. and ensuring that the people have gotten the right confirmation, that yes. the authorities have gotten the right confirmation, yeah. etc. Et yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then, 
I hear a lot of investors saying like, hey, people reach out to me when they want the money, they get the money and, and hopefully they say thank you. The next time I hear from them are when they need more money. Aha. Uh-huh. So um, not building the relationship that you should. Uh, and like called in, in common, like investor relations. Yeah. Um, and um, I've said it a couple of times, like the importance of having investors that are not only there for the money, at least in early in the journey, if you have that possibility and ensuring that you get the help that you need and that they are updated and that they continue to believe in the journey. Because you can just imagine yourself like getting this, sending over the money, total radio silence, I want more money. The likeliness of that person still believing in the company, not having gotten any updates or still wanting to invest in your specific company when there are a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, low gets lower and lower over time if yeah. you don't yeah. uh, keep and build the relationships. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but what do you suggest then that CEOs do? Do they sh- should they have like um, investor um, newsletters that goes out once a month with new updates and what's going up on in the company? Or how how do you update investors in a really smooth way? Mm, varies. Um, the the most like common thing that we do is that every quarter there's an investor update. It's like an hour uh, over Zoom or uh, in real life, depending on the the base of the the investors. If they're based in Stockholm, for example, uh, and then during that meeting, like be totally transparent of how it's going, what's the challenges, what the opportunities, what help would you need, uh, would you need any contacts, etc., uh, and ensuring that you keep that on a regular basis. But once per quarter, I would say is fine. And if something happens between <laughs> those meetings, of course, you can like send out an email or uh, do an extra investor updates to to celebrate something or to to get extra help with, with something. Yeah, and to celebrate something, I like that. I mean, if you are an investor and you invested in a company, of course, you want to be part of the celebrations as well. Definitely. So include them in your like small wins. Yep, um, that's very important. Yep. Definitely. Oh, but that's really good advice. But also, like, if you look at the like cap table and the contracts, are there any like best practices? What are the common things that should should be in in there? What are the common things that shouldn't be in there? Do you have any any mm. thoughts there? Do you mean the cap table of the investors? Oh, I mean the. I mean the shareholders' agreements. <laughs> so I would rather have Sofia, head of legal, talk about these and give you the the specific tips and tricks. Uh, but in general terms, I would say to ensure that the contracts are fair, uh, but also that they are quite similar to all the other shareholders' agreements that are out there. Like every part of the contract that's like unique or different, or you try to do something creative, tend to be like a thing that raises a lot of questions. Uh, so and waste time and waste time probably. Uh, so um, to have like an industry standard shareholders agreement, uh, I would say is a good uh, good thought, uh, and ensure that as I said that they are fair for for everyone entering the contract. Uh, and I will that's also an important thing I think to have uh, in mind when you get new investors and maybe when you get like larger investors a couple of years down the journey like VC firms etc to uh, make sure that you have all the owners in mind 
because uh, like the more institutionalized investors tend to have their own wishes uh, on what should be in the contract, the specific things that should only be uh, a part of their deal, etc. Um, so that's something that you will uh, have to tackle along the way. Mm. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Very, very good and um, insightful conversation. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. But what would you say then that your best advice is for startup founders in an early stage? Mm, for you thinking about becoming a founder? Yeah. Uh, I would say um, try to get as much like mom-tested <laughs> evaluation as soon as possible for, before you start. Um, so there to talk to actually potential customers and clients. Um, and um, just also do it. The worst thing that can happen is that you start a company it's like 25,000 crowns or 2,500 euros in Sweden uh, and uh, time and energy and engagement, but you will also learn a lot. Um, For the people that have started the startup, I would say keep an eye on the price, like on the market, the product market fit, the customers, uh, ensuring that you get these early wins and the contracts to to also get the customers to help you develop the right product. Um, and um, I would say also make sure that you have the possibility to prioritize. You will have a lot of things that you want to do. Uh, some th- thoughts are, are short term. And that's probably the most most thought that you actually would naturally spend time on. Uh, but if you want to raise capital, uh, etc., you have to have the long-term agenda as well in mind. Um, and uh, after you have like the first paying customers, etc., make sure that you um, build a solid base before you tend to run on every single other opportunity that you get. Uh, it's like dig where you where you're standing, and then decide strategically how you should broaden the product or the market or the the industry, etc. So sort of like uh, rush, but not too much, <laughs> and spread yourself too thin. Yeah, but that's important advice mm. to build on your core first. Yeah, because in the beginning, especially, it can be very tempting to pursue Do a lot everything. of different things. Yep. I know <laughs> all the opportunities look so tempting and so interesting, uh, and you never know. You you have a FOMO, maybe yep. you mm-hmm. missed the one. So, but yeah, uh, I think that's um, that's something that I myself have to remind myself over and over again. Like focus on the core, focus on the core, because opportunities will be there. They'll they'll come but you need to build your core first and then you can experiment into new branches yeah and the core should be where you have the actual traction yes because that can help you and paying customers like what is the basic of your company and then of course like everyone of course talks about the team Uh, I would extend the team to the ecosystem of support that you have yeah so not only like the people working with you, but also, as I said, the board, the owners, the the like specialists that you have or the advisors that you choose to have on the side, etc. Uh, pick them carefully uh, and make sure that they are the right uh, people uh, and don't be afraid to change the people as well. Mm. Uh, Very important. If it doesn't my, work, yeah, break up. It it if it doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> break up. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, I've you been get there attached, so yeah. many times myself. Mm. Um, because that's all. That's probably for me at least the hardest thing. Yeah. 
to actually take action when it's not the right yeah. Yeah. person to fit. Yeah, that's so important. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maria. Are there any other tech hustlers that you would like me to interview? Mm. I think I I mentioned Sofia a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit like she's partial, uh, but she's the head of legal at Hidden Dreams, uh, and she's been working with us for a couple of years before that EQT. Uh, Ooh, and um, yeah. yeah, so she's really good. And that would be a very good episode, I think, to go through the legal. Mm. Yeah, and just tips and tricks from from her perspective. Yeah. Um, so she has both seen the our startups, but also other, uh, and knows like the difference between having the opportunity to have all the structure, but also doing it on your own uh, and what you should prioritize and focus on. Because as some of you might know, legal advice is super expensive if you go yeah. uh, out on the town. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's so important to have your papers in order because otherwise you can, yeah, you can burn yourself really bad. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, both in short term, but also long term as well. Like if you are to do an exit and it's gone super successful, not having the paper in place will take you months to recover from. Yeah. Yeah. She's super welcome anytime. <laughs> I will let her know. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Maria. What did you think about today's episode? Let me know on LinkedIn and Instagram at TechHustler. This podcast is a passion project of mine. So if it speaks to you, it would mean a lot to me if you would give it a nice review and share it with your friends. See you next week. And until then, hustle smarter, not harder. <laughs>